Good morning, everybody. I have to reorient myself about 60 degrees here, I think. So uh, let's open up with prayer. Those are, those are weighty words, aren't they? Father, we just thank you that you're the one who holds us in your hand and you are, you are the one who is for us and not against us. And there's a lot of gravity in the life the life in the world that you've given us but you are the one who is our redeemer you are the lover of our souls and um, you warn us and you prepare us and uh, this morning we thank you for your word we thank you for your truth uh, open our ears to hear it holy spirit we welcome you this morning we thank you that you are our advocate, you are our counselor, you are our helper. We invite you to come and, and uh, speak to each of our hearts. And Lord, we thank you for your grace um, to, to let it bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, um, yeah, this morning, you know, Kathy, Kathy and I are at a stage in our lives with our family that we are, um, we're kind of seeing our kids like like little birds in a nest start to spread their wings and 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 fly out and take steps, and uh, you know a lot of you a lot of you here are parents. Uh, you know that when your children start to go out on your on their own, you you have mixed feelings, right? You feel on the one hand hopeful and excited. On the other hand, concerned. Uh, because you want everything to go well for them. You want, uh, you want them to be wise. I remember how I felt uh, the first time Caleb, when he got his driver's license and we, he went out with the van uh, on his own. I think it was a Sunday night. He was going to go to McDonald's and buy supper for us. And he took one of our daughters along and... Uh, and I remember watching him drive down the driveway and thinking, oh, I hope he's all right. You know what? It, it helps you to pray. <laughs> We're not there with him in the car, but we can be with him in spirit, right? And uh, the same thing, like when we, when we dropped each of the boys off to Taylor at, for college, uh, their freshman year, and you're just leaving them there in the midst of that uh, new environment, and you're just, I, I'm proud of you, I think highly of you, and I, I pray that you're you're ready and that you will succeed. You know, I remember when I was in high school. Whenever we would go out to a basketball game or a football game or a dance or something, we'd go out um, without them on a week on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And my mom would say to to us as we left, "Remember whose you are." And I'm sure that she was active praying for us all of those times. Uh, that we went out. You know, we want to see our children grow up and blossom, but we have concern uh, mainly because we know what wor the world that they are going out into. And we know the dangers, we know the challenges, we know the pitfalls, and uh, we want them to be faithful. We want them to, be, to succeed when a time of tests in life come to them. And, uh, you know, Jesus understands parenting uh, because he feels that same concern 
even greater concern for us. Amen? Uh, Luke 18, 8. Jesus is finish, uh, finishing telling uh, a parable, and he says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then this last statement. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, isn't that, that that's kind of a crazy thing. That, I mean, Jesus does not joke around uh, about stuff like that. And he's saying, when I come back, am I going to find faith on the earth in my church and in, in the people on the earth? That is, that is his concern. Um, we see other places in the Bible that God is, God is <clears throat> you know, looking for things out of his children. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 6. It says, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find faithfulness. And of course, Jesus was telling about that in the parable that we just heard. Um, in Hosea 14.9, God says, who is wise? Like he's looking for wise people. Who's wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And then last week in Matthew 24, we heard this one, verse 44. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And so Jesus has that heart. Are my people going to be ready for me to return? Are they going to be prepared? Um, you know, three things that we see in chapter 25 today uh, that Jesus is concerned that people will have faith in him, that we will be faithful in serving him, and that we will be wise and, well, four things, I guess, ready for him to return. Um, so Matthew 25 starts out with two, two more parables. There was one at the end of 24 uh, and another parable about his people preparing for his return, then followed by a prophetic account about the final judgment of all people when he returns. And uh, the stakes are high because in, in each of those, all three of them, those who fail end up in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we look at that and we say, that describes hell, eternal judgment. And uh, so the stakes are high. However, those who prove wise, faithful, and ready will remain in his presence with rewards and celebration and eternal life. So he's got the victory. Uh, we know that, right? But his concern is, Who's going to be ready to share it with me? Amen? And uh, so let, let's look at the first parable. Kathy just read it, but I'm going to just read it again. And let's just go over it. Verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. 
And we might say we need to be careful that we don't be drowsy and fall asleep. Jesus is another place that says be alert. Um, but evidently they all, <laughs> the wise ones and the foolish ones, all fell asleep. But at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. You can just, I don't know, just put yourself in the position, the panic that you would feel. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? But remember, Jesus is not lying. He's not making some, something up like, you made a little mistake, <laughs> and I'm going to cut you off. He's telling the truth. I don't, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So question, what is the difference in this parable between the wise and the foolish virgins? What was the difference between them? The wise ones prepared by taking extra oil with them, right? So what does the oil represent? What is Jesus telling us here? That we need to prepare extra oil. Um, it was something, something they could not share with others, right? At, at that time, they had to prepare ahead of time. It was something that needed to be prepared ahead of time. Well, in the Bible, often oil represents what? the Holy Spirit, right? Oil, oil represents the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to all believers. However, we also uh, need a continually refreshed filling with the Holy Spirit as we walk day by day through life so that our lights can shine. Uh, also, Peter Lightheart, who we've been quoting from his commentary about Matthew, he wrote this, Jesus earlier said that the disciples' good works are lights. The virgins without oil are the foolish builders who listen to Jesus but do not do what he says. The difference between virgins who enter the wedding and those who are locked out is whether or not they do the works of Jesus, whether their light is shining before men. And so, you know, you you can't, at the time the bridegroom arrives, you can't go and say, oh, I've got to do more works. It, it doesn't work that way. They're either done or they're not. Um, and of course, the first two, those two meetings go together, right? Because it, it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do good works. Right, amen? Now, on one other interpretation about oil is that in a sense, having a fresh supply of oil means that we have an ongoing relationship with Jesus. 
Because Christianity is, is about relationship, not rules, not earning anything for yourself. So when, I, when we talk about works, we're not talking about legalism this morning, okay? But it's about that ongoing relationship. And um, that, of course, is also facilitated by the Holy Spirit. Um, Father Gaetano Piccolo explained it this way. He says, the problem of the foolish virgins is not sleepiness, but something more fundamental. They never took care of the lamp that they were given. The bridegroom even says that he does not know them. In their lives, they have never cared about the bridegroom, and that is why they are unprepared now. Okay, so, so preparing oil in their lamps has to do with, with caring about him. And so the meaning suggests they've gone through life really not having relationship or care about the bridegroom. They didn't care enough to prepare ahead of time. So at the last minute, uh, it was too late. They couldn't, couldn't change. The Holy Spirit guides us in truth to make us wise. Uh, Jesus made that promise to give us the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit would do for us. So we need to daily invite Holy Spirit to fill us, guide us, empower us, and we need to incline our ears to what he is saying and incline our, and look with our eyes to what he is doing. Uh, and we need to yield obediently to his teaching, to his leading. In John 16, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So Jesus, you know, he's telling his disciples, you're sad because I'm going away. I'm not going to be here physically present with you, but don't worry, it's better because I'm sending another one, just like me, Holy Spirit, and he's going to dwell in you. And he's got a lot more to say to you. He will guide you into all truth. All that I have, all that the Father has given me, all of that he's going to be making available to you. And it's not just words. I think it, it also includes power, ability, and um, everything we need for the Christian life. Uh, the Holy Spirit is going to be there. So if you think about it, like think back to when your children go out. You can't go with them, and Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be with you, but guess what? <laughs> There's going to be, the Holy Spirit is. So we are not sent out on our own. Like we are not just dropped off at college and said, hope you succeed, see you in four years. Right? Jesus didn't do that to us. He actually gave us someone better, someone who can be closer um, 
to go through that with us, to go through this life with us, and, and who is equipped with every resource that God in heaven has. Everything we need for life and godliness uh, is right there, okay? So that's, we're looking at the first parable. How about the second parable uh, in the chapter is about the master who entrusted three of his servants with bags of gold to manage and invest while he was gone. We call it the parable of the talents, right? First one got five, second one got two, and the third one got only one. Um, but you know, even you might say the one guy, what did he got, like a couple dollars? No, uh, even the third one, uh, some translations talk about it as like a bag of gold. And uh, the, a talent was worth supposedly about 20 years wages for a laborer. So think about the amount of money you make in 20 years. Uh, that's a significant amount of money that you could invest, right? And the first two servants, they doubled their master's um, money that he uh, entrusted them with. Uh, and when he came back, they were commended highly and rewarded for their efforts, right? Um, in verse 21 it says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Uh, do you look forward to hearing those words? I mean, that's what we want to hear, right? But, of course, the third servant didn't fare as well. In verse, starting in verse 24, it says this about him. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. It's not very flattering, is it? Um, so I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So I've protected it. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Sounds kind of cruel. It doesn't sound very politically correct, actually. But And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in that, what, what's the key to being a faithful servant? Why was the third man judged unfaithful? Well, it said that the first two servants immediately went and what? Put, their, put the money to work. And um, in contrast, the third servant's actions were dictated by what? Fear. And the other thing is, 
a negative view of the master. And the result was the master ended up judging him, him as wicked and lazy. So what's the key to faithfulness? The key, I think the key to faithfulness is love. First um, John 4.18 says this, there is no fear in love. Okay, the servant hid the bag of gold because of, he was afraid. He, uh, he did not have the love that cast out that fear. Um, there is no fear in love, but for perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The servant's thinking, what's going to happen if I fail? What if I lose the money? What if I invest it and it fails? What if, what if? John says, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So it's God's love, it's God's grace that empowers us to serve. It's his love that enables us to be faithful. When you read the parable, it's pretty clear that the third servant did not love the master and he did not feel love from, from him. Was that accurate? I don't think so. And it's certainly if we say the master represents God, that's not accurate. That's, a, that's an inaccurate view of God, which says that servant didn't truly know the master and he had a wrong opinion of him. It was an inaccurate view of his master. So God appeals to us to seek to know him deeply and in truth. Seeking to know him is going to produce faithfulness in him. Faith, I mean faithfulness in us because we know his love for us. Uh, when we truly know him, we're going to be able to receive his love and be made perfect in love. And then we'll be faithful servants. Jeremiah 29.13 says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's, a, that's an office, awesome promise. You know, because he's, he's, he's inviting us, come, seek to know me. We know we live in a world where there's an enemy who's always lying to us about the character of our God and Father and our Lord. Um, but God is inviting us. He's saying, come, seek me, know you. And I promise if you do, you'll find me. I'm, I'm not that hard to find. I will be found by you, says the Lord. It continues in the next verse. And so, uh, you know, there are many things in this world that are working against us seeking God. If we seek him, the promise is we will find him. But we've got a lot of distractions, don't we? I mean, there are... Um, things that try to steal our time, our energy, our affections, and, and keep us off, off track from seeking him. Um, there are lies about him that the enemy will sow into our hearts that if we believe them, will turn us aside from seeking him, right? And uh, we need to be aware of those things. It's God's will that none of his people should be lost. And Jesus, so Jesus says this, 
Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. All these other things in the world that you need, they'll be added. I will give them to you, but seek me first. And that's why. Because the most important thing in life is knowing who God is and knowing how he feels about you. And guess who will help you with that? The Holy Spirit. Because if we take time, you know, Jesus said one of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit is to counsel us, that he is going to speak to us many things, um, that he, he will remind us of things Jesus has already said, and he's going to speak more things that Jesus didn't have time while he was on earth to say, to speak to our situations. And if we are listening to the Holy Spirit, is he going to be guiding us in truth? He's going he's to speak to truth. Have you taken time, when, when you've taken time to listen to the Holy Spirit, how do you end up feeling afterwards? Do you feel beaten down, condemned? Do you feel like, wow, God is harsh? He sows where he doesn't, he reaps where he doesn't sow, and he's, he's you know, uh, not trustworthy, not dependable. He doesn't love me. Do you feel that way after you listen to the Holy Spirit? I would suggest if you do, it's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's, not, it's the wrong voice that you are paying attention to. Because, um, because after you speak to the Holy Spirit, God is love and you are going to know that he loves you because that's the concrete truth, right? And it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit will say that every, everything in your life is correct. You know, he's not going to say that if you have sin, it's not sin. But he's not going to condemn you He's going to, he is our redeemer, right? And, and so um, the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to help us in, in those things. Um, all right, so finally we're going to move on to the third part of Matthew 25, which is the account of the judgment of the sheep and the goats uh, at the coming of the Son of Man. An interesting thing, in that judgment, both the sheep and the goats seem surprised that they're being judged on what they did to Jesus or for Jesus. Uh, they actually don't recall it, right? Because uh, in verse 37, the righteous, it says, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink. I think I would remember that. Uh, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Oh, awesome, but, but the, the sheep, they, they were surprised, right? They, but and, and the goats, the same thing, only it was in the negative. Verse 44 says, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. What's happening here? The way the gospel is often preached in our country, shouldn't Jesus have said, truly I tell you, 
you did not ask me into your heart. This kind of, uh, there was something said about that in the video we watched at the men's retreat, right? Uh, I, this was in my sermon before I heard it yesterday. Um, why is Jesus judging the sheep and the goats based on their works? That doesn't sound right, does it? Well, let's look at the situation. The sheep had naturally helped those in need around them. And so it, it was evidently their no, normal mode of operation to help the hungry, the thirsty, the lonely, the poor, the sick, and those who are in prison. Uh, that was evidently normal for them. They weren't just intentionally doing those things in order to earn merit with, with God. And uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, the sheep just naturally cared about those around them and did those things. But the goats evidently didn't normally operate that way uh, because they hadn't lived in such a way as to help and care for the people around them. I mean, we can look at them and say they must, they, they've been selfish, they've been preoccupied, they've been insensitive to those around them. Why? Because of the results. Uh, they, they didn't end up doing those things uh, for Jesus by doing them through the, the people that had been around them. That, was their way of, that had been their way of life. So those who truly have faith in Jesus are going to naturally have manifested that faith through these kinds of works, through loving, caring works for the people that God brings into their path. And Jesus said, you did it to them, it's doing it to me. Why is it that way? Well, because those, those are people he's created. Those are his children. Uh, I'll talk to your parents again. Somebody touches your children, they're going to have to deal with you, right? And uh, because you love your children. And so it, it's a family. You can't separate God from his children. And, and so he's saying, if you, if you did it, how you lived toward these people is how you felt about me. Um, but these sheep, the love of Jesus just naturally shined, shined through their actions. Uh, that's not, this is not the only place in the Bible where we see that. Think about the book of James, chapter 2. He's describing this manifestation of faith. Uh, Dan was talking this morning about manifestation of God's presence. He's always present, but manifest means we can see and feel and experience it with our senses, right? And it's, the same thing is true about faith. Faith is there, but if it's there, um, it's going to be manifest somehow in ways that it can be seen and felt. And... Um, so James says in chapter 2, starting at verse 14, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, we'd probably say, I'll pray for you, um, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 
But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Another way to say it is God knew him. God didn't, would never have said, I didn't know Abraham, because God did. You see that a person is considered, by, considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. There's some churches, if I said that statement, they'd call me a heretic. If I read it out of the Bible, they hopefully can't, although there, some people probably would. It's in the Bible. What does it mean? It, it just means that real faith being in you is going to do something. Uh, it's, it's a powerful thing. It will change your life and, and you will naturally uh, produce a manifestation of that faith by loving those around you. The writer of Hebrews confirms this view of faith that naturally demonstrates its fruit. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so he's saying, hey, there are leaders in the church um, you can see by their lives. You remember what they spoke to you about faith and about truth, about the gospel, and look at their lives. Uh, they are producing fruit. They are loving those around them. They are doing things. So you imitate their faith. Well, how do you imitate faith if it's just uh, a, an acknowledgement in the mind? You imitate faith because you see how those people are living and you can imitate their life. Um, that's part of discipleship he's talking about. Uh, Peter Lightheart explained it this way. Of course, we are saved by what Jesus does. How many can say amen? Amen. We are saved by what Jesus does. But what Jesus does is to produce good works through his spirit. Make us faithful household servants. Give us the wisdom to be faithful virgins Enable us to invest and gain an increase. That is Jesus working in us. If he is really working in us, he is going to produce fruit in us. Amen? And that's not just Peter Lightheart's opinion. Uh, Jesus talked about it in John 15, starting at verse 4. He said, uh, before that he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? And he says, remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's a promise. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So this is Jesus talking the same way. It, it, it harks us, uh, this is in the book of John, but it, it makes us think back to what he, just, what he said in these parables and this judgment uh, talked about in Matthew 25, right? So what's the key? Remain in me. Another translation says, abide in me. So what does it mean? How do we remain in Jesus? How do we abide in him? How do we prepare reserves of oil for the midnight arrival of the bridegroom? It's relationship with him. We, how, what, what does relationship with Jesus look like? Well, we seek, first of all, we seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We read and hear his word. We think about his goodness to us. We thank him, we praise him, we worship him, not only when we come to church, but just as we go through our daily lives. Uh, we pour out our hearts to him, and then we listen for his voice. We trust, we put our trust in him to help us, uh, to guide us, to keep us in all the things of our life. We obey his directions when we hear what he says to do. We serve him with gladness. We make it our aim to please him. Why? Because we love him. And we fellowship with his children and seek to bring the good news to those people around us in the world that are still lost and don't know him. In short, we walk closely with him, who is our bridegroom, He's our master. He's our shepherd. Following him, who's called us to be his disciples, and he's called us to dwell with him forever. Remember what he said about uh, hell, the eternal fire. Who was it prepared for? The devil and his angels. God did not prepare eternal judgment originally that humans should go there. It's not his will, right? Anybody that goes there is because they've made that, that choice themselves. Um, his, his will for us is to be with him forever because he loves us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who will keep reminding us of that and be working in us. You know, in the book of Acts, when the apostles came and found believers uh, that they never talked to before, they asked them a question. They said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I remember in the, in, in the book of, Eph in the city of Ephesus, it, uh, they said, no, we didn't even know that there is a Holy Spirit, right? Well, nowadays in the church, uh, pretty much everybody knows there's a Holy Spirit, right? But it's still a valid question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And everybody, we might say, well, yeah, I did, because you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. But what he's talking about is, is did, were, 
did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you believed? You can't, you can't be a believer, you can't be saved without the Holy Spirit regenerating you and making you born again, right? But it's clear that when we see the New Testament in the book of Acts, that um, they, they were saved, but they also were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a question that the apostles and the leaders asked. It's like, okay, you're saved. Did you, you were baptized with water. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And, um, you know, all the things we've talked about today, I think Holy, Holy Spirit is, is a key. He is the key in relationship with him and going into producing, producing the fruit that we've talked about being faithful uh, in, to, to the master and following the shepherd, um, being prepared for the bride, being as a bride that's made herself ready and prepared for the bridegroom. And so this morning, I just want to pray, um, but I, I really think it's important to give time to ask everybody here, and I'm, and I'm probably preaching to the choir, but... Did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you believed? So I, I just want to make the opportunity. We've got a platform, kind of an altar here, and we've got plenty of people to lay, lay hands on. That the Bible, it says that, that yeah, when you're saved, you, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, but there's obviously, there is another dimension of relationship and filling with the Holy Spirit that that's been referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, where you're gifted and empowered to hear his voice, to have supernatural gifts of the Spirit that he chooses to put in you, um, to be able to pray in a language not your own, to help facilitate communication with him that these things are all possible for all believers and it's part of God's will for every believer to, to be filled in this way with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and you want it. The, just important enough that the apostles, that was like the first question they asked when they met believers that they'd never known before. And, uh, but it's also kind of a feeling. So there might be some of us here today who just said, yeah, I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit before, but I just feel like I need a, a refilling. You know, there was a time in the book of Acts when the apostles were praying and the place was shaken and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit back in chapter two. So why in a later chapter were they filled with the Holy Spirit again? You know, we, we need to be constantly being refilled. It is a relationship. And you know, Sometime, uh, Pastor Nick used to say, we're kind of like leaky gas tanks. <laughs> we, need to, we need to be refilled uh, as far as the, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a relationship. And in a relationship, sometimes your relationship, uh, things can get stale or things you haven't been communicating or, or paying attention to one another as much. And, and you need a, a renewal in, in that relationship. And so I, I just feel like this morning uh, I'm going to pray and then let's just say the altar is open and I want to call on um, elders, Dave Martin, um, those of you who, I, uh, who are um, 
experience with the Holy Spirit um, that you can come up and, and lay hands on and pray for anyone. So if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you want to come up and have somebody lay hands on you and pray to receive him in a more full, in that full way, measure of power and grace and love uh, to equip you and enable you in your Christian life. Uh, or if you just want a refilling. Uh, you may have been a Christian for 50 years and you just want more of the Holy Spirit. Then I invite you to come up to, to the altar this morning and somebody will pray with you. And uh, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus did it all on the cross and he's the one who does it all in our, in our lives. And Lord, we, we just want to abide in you. Jesus, you are the vine, we are the branches. Keep us abiding in you that we might bear much fruit, that we might be faithful. Make us faithful servants, that we might be prepared, that we might be bride, uh, brides, uh, virgins who are, who are prepared for the bridegroom and have oil, extra oil for our lamps. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We invite you here and we say come and fill us. Fill us afresh and empower us to walk in close relationship with you day by day and produce your fruit in us. Lord, we say your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives and we all want to be with you forever in that wedding banquet. And not only that, but we want the whole world to be there too because you have invited everyone. We love you, we bless you, we praise you, and we thank you. Lord, and we receive you, Holy Spirit, by faith. It's a promise. And you said, no earthly father is going to give his child uh, a scorpion if he asks for a fish, or a stone if he asks for bread. Neither will your father in heaven... Um, and so will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So we receive your promise and we believe. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.